Hi, friends. Welcome to the Rock Your Joy podcast. I'm your host, Anya Rock, a woman, artist, entrepreneur, mom, and high-performance coach. I'm working on becoming the best version of myself and inspiring others to do the same. This is my invitation to you to be part of the collective shifting of consciousness. Let's choose love. Let's choose joy. And let's rock your joy one day at a time. Hi, friends. Welcome back. Happy May. Spring is blooming all around. And here in Chicago, the flowers are in full bloom. And it's just my favorite time of year. It feels so luscious and alive. It's also one of my favorite months because it's my birthday month. And with Mother's Day around the corner, I'm hoping for another excuse to celebrate. But I also know that Mother's Day can bring up a lot of emotion for those trying to conceive or experiencing loss, and even for those of us diving into the complexity of motherhood and our own mothering relationship. My guest today is the master of understanding how we mother ourselves. Dr. Gertrude Wright is a guest of the show. I'm so excited to have her back. Dr. Wright has been working for the Wright Institute since 2002, offering one-on-one coaching. She completed her doctorate of education in 2016 and her MA in 2015, both from the Wright Graduate Institute for Realization of Human Potential. Dr. Wright has a master's in psychology and prior to Wright was an economic analyst at Smith Economics. Most recently, Gertrude developed Rewriting the Mother Code, an interactive workshop that helps guide women in discovering the true meaning of mothering. She speaks frequently and gives workshops focused on the mother code, both in meetups and workshops. And I'm so excited to have her back. We are diving into the practices and rituals of turning our mothering instincts inward as well as outward, understanding that we all need to be mothered. And at this time of year, there's no greater time to turn our compassion and love, empathy, and nurturing on ourselves first in order to find real joy. Welcome to the show, Gertrude. Thank you. It's just a thrill to be here. It's wonderful to have you back. Mm-hmm. And such a, as I was celebrating the year of having this podcast, I really have been watching you grow and launch your own podcast and just really excited for all the work that you're doing around women and mothering and learning to mother ourselves and So I was inspired to bring you back because I feel like we've both grown so much. You were my very first guest. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Same back at you. I know. And that was was pre nervous, (laughs) pre COVID, wasn't it? Weren't we? Or were we? No, it it just just at the beginning. Okay. Yeah, I think we were maybe a month into you know the the COVID lockdowns, and here we are on the other side, almost, and definitely like. Amazing what we can learn to live with, I think is really incredible about how we adapt and how we thrive, even, you know, in remarkable situations. And as someone who's working with women and really teaching women, so for those that haven't, you know, listened to our previous episode, why don't you give us a little bit of your story and kind of the work you're doing right now? Um, and then we'll chat about how it's evolving and yeah. relevant to the times we're in. So quick synopsis. So I, I've 
started a platform, a coaching platform called Rewrite the Mother Code. And that was born out of my doctoral work and dissertation, which was born out of my, um, at that point, I think, hmm, close to 20 years of my own mothering of children, and then a yearning and desire to really look at kind of a combination of like what I saw when I engaged in my own growth and transformation during that time, and also what I didn't, right? There was a real reckoning when I looked back around that time to see that, wow, I had I'd really sidestepped it in a lot of ways, right? I had reached kind of a point and kind of decided, nope, venturing even more deeply into my own transformation while I was mothering uh, wasn't happening. And I had a lot of regret and remorse for that. So I decided to <laughs> go back to school and I had just finished literally two master's degrees and said, okay, that doctorate thing, no way. But uh, really saw it as the pathway for me to both dive into that territory. Like what kind of what went on for me? Like why, why for someone who was, you know, a coach and in this arena, was I finding my own challenges and then to support other women to raise their awareness. So that's what I ended up doing. I, I did a curriculum evaluation study with my doctorate and to raise women's awareness of the transformational opportunity in mothering. And that opened up, you know, just this huge space. And I realized that, wow, women were really hungry for this conversation and really hungry to talk about because I particularly at that moment worked with women who did not have children yet, you know, but were either thinking about it or thought maybe someday or kind of even knew they didn't want to, but they were interested in this topic of mothering. So that was a huge awareness raising, even for me to see like just how closed the uh, conversations are around like, well, you can't talk about mothering unless you're going to have a baby, right? And, <laughs> and you're either allowed to say like, I know I've always wanted to have children or I know I don't, right? And But everything in between, you kind of just don't talk about. So discovering and then sharing with those women that it was really you know, what I had learned in my own growth and, and work at the Wright Foundation with Dr. Judith Wright, that really mothering is is available to all women and that all women mother, whether you mother or decide to mother a child, but we also mother our careers, our relationships, ideas, dreams, and then discovering that the most overlooked person that uh, needs mothering is ourselves. So that led to the whole, you know, big landscape, which was so much about this year, right? What does it look like to mother ourselves in a pandemic? What does it look like to mother children in a pandemic? Um, careers, you know, I've worked with women this year who've lost, you know, their the career they had was not <laughs> pandemic proof. Uh, it wasn't a, at all about, you know, pivoting somewhat. It was like, nope, you know, we're, especially the event industry and, you know, certain industries that it re really hit so hard. Um, so I would say, without starting to go into this year too much, uh, that's the journey I've been on and, and my own, as, as you know, and for yourself, like, you know, I was just starting, I was only like a, a, a year and a half or so into really bringing this topic out to the forefront and starting to do talks and, but everything was live, right? Everything I was doing was in person, 
I was doing, you know, half day intensives and I had one scheduled for, I'll never forget it. Uh, you know, March 19th, it was going to be in Los Angeles. It was this big deal. And, and that didn't happen, but a whole lot of other things did, you know, and, and I think that's something we can definitely talk about is just what that was like to, to mother the, you know, ourselves and, you know, our careers and our children during this time. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious when you say, you know, you as a mother felt like you maybe didn't do things or you can look back with remorse. Was it mostly around your career that you felt like you talked yourself out of? Or like, I'm curious how, it, you know, now we can't turn back the hands of time, but are there things you can specifically look back and say, I wish I had taken more chances with that? Or I would, you know, um, especially now that your daughters are grown, you had a really wonderful conversation the other day on your podcast with your daughters, which is like, as someone who has got a 10 year old, yeah, it's amazing. But as you reflect more on that, what are, what are some of the ways in which you felt that play out? Yeah. So to make that distinction, it was, I felt like in many ways, and certainly this wasn't perfect either. Uh, my husband and I, we partnered and parented really well, right? Like we were very conscious. We were trying to, you know, really, you know, be thoughtful and, and really work on what like worked for us and, you know, kind of bring more expansive principles, you know, and making those choices to, to go back to work and school and all that. Like those were actually, I feel decent about, right? It was really like amidst all that, like, and I say it, it the, I, I felt it start to shift after I had my second daughter. So just to give you a little background, when my husband and I got engaged, it was suggested to me this possibility of doing premarital coaching. Well, we were 24 and 25, like <laughs> this was 1990, right? 1989. Like coaching wasn't a thing, you know, and it was not in my scope of possibility. And, but something like I had this inspiration or realization that some doing something like that could be really good for us. And an awareness that, you know, geez, neither of our parents, they were, well, his parents were divorced. Mine were soon to be, you know, when I looked at like our families, like, oh, well, how, how do you learn how to do this? Right. So I really, in the beginning of our relationship and that was the leader in our growth work. Right. And rocking the boat and seeing that, you know, patterns that we had in our, in our upbringings around avoidance of conflict, around soft and hard addictions. You know, I was the one kind of really pushing us to like go into the, you know, very vulnerable territory and, you know, basically at times put the relationship at risk, right. To, to do any of these things. So I was, you know, carried that through even, you know, through the 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 way we like learned and grew through the f the conception of our first daughter and it was really kind of around after having our second daughter that i started pulling back on my own work you know it was it was really more that i i felt like i kind of went into hiding in that regard and played it safe right so i didn't want to rock the boat anymore now i had two kids we had a nice lifestyle you know a lot of kind of external trappings, but I knew that there was deeper stuff going on and I didn't want to, I was too scared to touch it. You know, when I look back and look at what was, you know, what happened? Like, why, why was I so gung ho? And then, you know, it was a, 
fairly abrupt halt. So it was, and and here I'm I'm leading parent-child trainings, right? I'm having my children at these trainings and I'm coaching other women in this arena. So you, you know, kind of get this landscape, but not really walking, just doing just enough to kind of, you know, maintain, but not dig in, not, you know, be with the things that raising them and especially as they got to be teenagers that they were stirring up for me with my my history and you know wounds and things from the past I, I you know successfully avoided like sidestepped it so it was that realization um that really hit me pretty hard at one point realizing like oh my gosh like you know and I just I sobbed when I realized it right like what would what what could that have brought our family? You know, where would we be if we had, if I had stayed leading in that way? So it was, that's the area. And I thought, wow, if it was that hard for me, <laughs> mm-hmm. I was surrounded yeah. by like, you know, some pretty conscious people and I'm coaching, I'm around, you know, I'm getting coaching and I, I was able to avoid it. Uh, but I also saw just from what I had done early on and, and women that were continuing to engage in, dig into really challenging um, issues that were coming up, I, I saw them thrive, you know, and I saw them, you know, some really beautiful things happen in their family. And so I'm like, you know, this is a good thing. And let's, let's start making it uh, more out there, more okay, more normal, and us learn to, you know, I, I had done a lot of work, but I guess just not quite enough to like really trust myself to go that next level, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which is, I mean, so human, right? right? It's so relatable. Yeah, I have a lot of compassion for myself too. Like it wasn't a big beat up. Like it was, you know, I got a lot of support around it. It was really a beautiful release. And I I think it's okay to have regret and remorse, but not like self-pity, right? Like I didn't sit there and feel sorry for myself, but it was like, whoa, let's, this, I don't want this to go to waste. Uh, let's do something with it. Yeah. And so, you know, Rewrite the Mother Code was born and now the Mother Mother <laughs> podcast and really giving women a language to talk about mothering as this um, verb, right? As this way that we actively engage in our own well-being, our own sort of mental and physical well-being. I think, and I remember I said this on, on our first conversation and probably a few times to you that as a mother of two, like at first when, you know, confronted with that idea of mothering as being something beyond children, even I was a little like, oh, but wait, <laughs> there is this very special, mm-hmm. you know, thing. And totally. I really, I really think of mothering my children as kind of a spiritual experience, really just, a, yeah. you know, a, a very, um, like my, my karmic task, right, to help them. And they help me to see and you helped me really see this through, and actually the women in the workshop really helped me see this, not, you know, you facilitated it, but to see that this longing in all of us to, to nurture and to be, to sort of tap into this feminine energy, right? And I think you talk a lot about that, our divine feminine energy. Mm-hmm. Maybe you want to kind of speak to how we've unknowingly, and even though it's kind of trendy right now, there's something much deeper in terms of how we are just, you know, kind of taught from such a young age that's yeah. just so ingrained in our culture to really minimize the power of the feminine and that deep nurturing and creativity that that lives there. So where does that 
live in your work and how do you, what do you want to tell us all So about? many ways, so many, <laughs> I had like five things come to mind as you shared that, uh, but you shared it, you know, so beautifully. And I love hearing, you know, even just that shift to hold, you know, your mothering of your children as, as spiritual, you know, as, cause I, I consider working on ourselves and, you know, uh, as a spiritual experience and, you know, karmic cleansing, <laughs> so to speak. Mm-hmm, right. Mm-hmm. And I, and I also do underline, you know, that, and I've, I've, I try and always make this distinction, right. That in no way am I saying, you know, mothering children is the same as mothering something else, but we have crossover parallel qualities of those experiences. And as you named, you know, aspects of ourselves, um, that are feminine values, you know, and feminine qualities that uh, I think carry through. And one of the things that popped in my mind that I think is I, I uncover and I try and expose or debunk a number of myths around mothering. And I think they're tied to the divine feminine in a way because one of them is that it's not okay to have your feelings your full feelings or, you know, your emotions kind of in general in our culture, but particularly in the places that we're mothering, you know, with our children or in our relationships and even, you know, in our careers and places. And that's robbing us of one of our greatest superpowers. You know, I think a superpower of the divine feminine or of the feminine is connection to our pain, right? Because it's, you know, on the on this continuum and spectrum of pleasure, right? We can't have full pleasure without pain, but it also, you know, reveals our our caring and just how it hurts to care so much, and it hurts when those we care about are hurting. But when we deny ourselves of the pain, you know, our pain, and we do all sorts of things to drive it down or numb it or you know ignore it and none of those are good for us. So when I'm talking about mothering ourselves, this is one of the biggest aspects, like how can we let go of, you know, both cultural, internal, family rules, myths, and beliefs that we have around our emotions, all of them, but particularly our pain. Because, you know, if we think about creation, you know, childbirth, but anything that we're put so much caring into and, and love is going to have pain involved right? It's, it's, and the more we can be in sync with that, uh, not, you know, not uh, deny it and merge with it. And so to speak, you know, and, and use it fully, I I think is one of the ways we can be that much more connected uh, to our divine feminine, you know, and to our spirit. And I, I like thinking of our, you know, our wombs both as this literal miracle, you know, but this space where creation takes place, Right. And so, yes, we have a child, you know, that can then come in and create that, you know, baby gets created in your womb. It's amazing. Right. But Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. as women, you know, when we're creating, um, I just talked about this. I just finished uh, my last round of mastermind and and, uh, I had a Frida Kahlo uh, quote, you know, because she lived a life of immense pain and how she talked about her in her paintings are, you know, a reflection of her pain. They are, you know, it was with this pain that she was able to create such beauty, right? And the beauty of miracles that come from it. So I think I answered that question in a number of ways. Yeah. But is it making sense? Are you- yeah. And I think it's, again, you know, not to 
belabor the sort of time that we're living in, but there is immense pain and trauma and, you know, and particularly for women, you know, there's study after study showing that women and mothers are carrying the burden of this time and doing it silently. And, you know, again, even though like mental health is more talked about, it's still really not, you know, as, you know, I, I mean, I, I was lucky to grow up with a, a family that sort of said, you know, everybody should have a therapist. It's just <laughs> like you go to the doctor and you go to the dentist and you should have a therapist once, you know, once you get to a certain age. And I'm so grateful for that normalizing and that, you know, but I, but I do realize that it's not yet completely mainstream and normal to really talk about everything, the range of emotions that we're all experiencing, particularly in this, you know, now 18 month, 20 month, you know, ongoing pressure cooker of just the world, you know, that we're in um, and all that's going on. So it's, I think that, you know, watching you talking about, and maybe we can talk a little bit about redefining self-care. I know you're doing some awareness this month about mental health awareness and, and stress awareness. And what are you encouraging the women that you're working with to really embrace as, you know, real, like real self-care? Like what is it really, what is that, how does that nurturing look to you and what are you prescribing? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. The prescription. Right. Um, Well, I, I think it's so many things that we saw come across the screen this year. Right. But um, as you were saying, you know, I didn't have the experience of, you know, having small children at home during this pandemic. Um, where so many things came to the surface. But I did love seeing the an article that said, you know, an hour alone at Target is not self-care, right? Well, you don't get to count right. that in your <laughs> in your, you know, your self-care inventory <laughs> for the week. So, you know, in many arenas we do have a long way to go at look at to look at like what what all does it encompass, right? And you know, certainly we want our basic needs covered, you know, and we want, you know, and and it's important that we take time for ourselves in, in ways that we can. But I, I think the the really meaningful or effective self-care is just what you know you were just talking about and what I was talking about right before that around facility with our emotions, right? So whether you've had any exposure to that or you know, some or a lot or none, it's going to be the place to go. Right. And it it's going to, and the more stress we have or the more upsetting it is, it's it also a lot of times is going to feel like the place to avoid. So I, I work a lot with women on, you know, what it what would it look like to create space for yourself? And, you know, well, first of all, when's the last time you had a good cry? Or you know, when and you know, using tools and I'm I'm trained in breath work, you know, things that get us out of our head and into our bodies and into spaces that we can create that feel safe to have them. But that, you know, can start and still be just as effective to start the language of them, right? To start naming them at points in our day. And, you know, when we're in the heat of a a stressful moment, just to name an emotion, you know, is all the neuroscience and, you know, Dan Siegel and, and Dan Goldman, you know, both talk about the naming it to tame it uh, so that we can bring ourselves 
you know, back to uh, out of a amygdala hijack or a high stress point, you know, and bring more calming hormones and things back to our body. So, you know, everything from as simple as naming an emotion to breathing and seeing if we can, you know, evoke it and feel it. And then where, you know, when you're in safer circumstances or I'm going to say appropriate, I'd love it if there, it was appropriate everywhere and any time, but that we do create spaces for ourselves to go deeper into our emotions and, you know, feel our pain, feel our fear, feel our anger, you know, and so that we can have and really relish in the moments of joy. Cause there's been a lot of that too this year. And I, I know we've talked and, you know, amidst all of this chaos and upset, there've, there've been some just really beautiful, you know, uh, I don't know, treasures, you know, from the year, but I'm going to miss it if I'm not present, right? And getting present with myself is going to be the, you know, in my opinion, the ultimate self-care. And, you know, the the biggest gift we can give ourselves is that. Mm -hmm. And permission maybe to feel all of it, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that it's okay and that, you know, um, but, and and so we do a lot around, you know, I'll do a lot around breaking the beliefs and myths that we have around our, our emotions. And, you know, that's a lot in the emotional intelligence area. But then as we were doing earlier, you know, tying that to, I, I think uh, as women, um, once we open ourselves up to them, we have a bit more access, you know, and we can lead the way. I think it's a way we're going to lead the way in the world. Um once we start doing it for ourselves. And then we're modeling it for our children and people around us. And then it's going to be okay for them to have them. You know, I, I get, I do get a little, I don't know, I guess I'll just say a little peeved. You know, I'll read a lot of articles about like, do this to help your child have social emotional intelligence and, you know, and do that. But like, what are you doing for yourself? Right? Like all of that's great if you're doing it for you too, you know, but we don't always explicitly say that we we want it for our children, but you know we we need to want it and go for it just as much ourselves. As I say, of someone who avoided it for a period of time, <laughs> but I do know. <laughs> but even even that, you know, that you had the awareness to look back and recognize. I mean, you know, we all there's no such thing as perfect parenting. No, I mean, I learned early on. I can't remember. It was my kids must have been maybe. Three, we were definitely going through some toddler tantrum stuff and some struggles. And someone gave me the advice of maybe I read it somewhere like, just the next time you have a quiet moment with the child that you know you had this upsetting moment with, just apologize and really sort of say, like, I wish I could have done better. And like, let's both work on how could we, you know, redo that situation. And I've kind of all, and then I took that forward and was like, yeah, just that transparency of I'm really just trying to work this out as best I can with way more tools than you have, but we're complex and we're, we're not, you know, and the more I think we can just open to that. And, you know, my daughter's 10 and we're just entering more of the complexity and, but even for my son to see, you know, we don't, talk about it with boys even as much, but to sometimes he'll have an emotional moment and it just always like, oh, because he's turned into this sport kid and he's like always moving and he wants to throw up a ball. And then 
something will happen and he will just have an emotional moment. And I go like, oh, right. Like you too, right? You have the full capacity and need the space for all of this. And the more that we do it for ourselves, we need to do it for our boys too, right? So they can be. Yeah. The other half of the population who's exactly (laughs) tuned in. Yeah, no. And while I do think our world is very out of balance with masculine feminine values, I certainly, I absolutely don't think like feminine values should take over, right? We really are, you know, I, I think we have the potential and possibility to bring them into balance and see how they, you know, the yin yang symbol, right? Like that they, in, once in balance, it's it's when I think about what's possible, right? When we're not over honoring, you know, the masculine, which has been happening for probably I don't know, like, uh, six thousand years or so. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to happen overnight, but um, right, we've you know, so it's kind of both having patience and urgency, right? Like it, it, I, I do believe our planet. We have some pretty grave circumstances if we don't start making some of those shifts, but um, it, it's a lot to unravel, you know, and change. But as you were saying yeah. that about your son, yeah, but right? Like he's, as you say, starts with the great mother, right? The earth and yeah. that feminine energy and tapping in to that and then honoring. And I think, you know, what I think with it's nice to hear people really reinforce is that the feminine and masculine is not gendered. It's so much no. about our inner energies and we both have it no matter how you know we manifest those in in a you know conventional or societal way it's this is about every part of the spiritual planet and the makeup has these these energies that really complement each other and are yeah. important for each other yeah another piece of uh i don't know wisdom you know that has really supported me you know, learning from Judith Wright was, you know, for me as a woman, you know, who I had previously, you know, really did kind of still, even though I was skilled in feminine um, qualities or, you know, I, I uh, honored them at a level, I still over honored the masculine and thought like, well, that's really still the better way to go, you know, power and logic and doing and being, but if I could just shift that to seeing it more as using the masculine in service of the feminine, you know, so for me as, you know, as I'm wanting to, you know, and nurturing this platform of rewrite the mother code, which is really all about having us all be and feel and, you know, honor this caring and and these feminine aspects, there's doing that is required, you know, for that, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's structures and doing. You can't and, just receive no, without doing exactly. anything. No, exactly. I can't just like, oh, you know, um, <laughs> lay around and emanate. Don't we wish. You know? <laughs> exactly, right? So, you know, vision without goal is just going to, you know, be a lovely thought, you know, versus something that's then put into action and, and used. Um, but goals without vision and meaning are, you know, are empty and not f- very fulfilling and, and get very, um, uh, you know, don't move the greater good forward. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, I'm going to go back to this mostly because I just think it's so poignant. And what, when having your daughters on your podcast, oh, yeah. who are now grown women, right? They've, they've graduated. 22 and 24. Yep. 
Okay. One is graduating in a month, but yes, you know, from uh, college. So they are <laughs> from college. <laughs> what was that like? And what, what were your big, um, did you have any big ahas from that conversation that you really will take forward into your work? Yeah, what was so interesting about that was, well, I'm going to back up one second before we go there, which was, you know, one of the huge silver linings and things I'm so grateful for for this past year was that it was kind of a redo for me, right? Like here we are in this tumultuous situation. I'm I'm going to use this time to rock the boat, I guess, in our family, but, you know, use it for our family's growth and development, you know, my own, you know, and our family. So I, you know, early on, we're all like super stressed and where are we going to live? And we're all going to suddenly, you know, live together. And my older daughter with her boyfriend, and we're all like, you know, so rather than just kind of hunker in and like get through it, I'm like, nope, we're going to dive in. So I set up family coaching sessions and more of my own sessions and things like that. So, you know, through the year, we had kind of been in this mode of like, you know, getting ourselves, you know, kind of up to speed, right? And we, amongst ourselves, did some pretty risky uh, assignments around telling the truth to each other and and um, that we were all scared about. But once we did it, felt closer. You know, that was the whole point, right? Like that we we could learn about ourselves and feel closer. So at first the thought of like, yeah, let's come on the podcast and talk. Like we've kind of been doing this. But then, you know, all of a sudden, you, you know, Oh, and share it with the world. Like that's a little different, right? <laughs> um, but I knew we weren't doing it as a full on session. So, you know, it took us like a month to schedule it. So I, I think we all were a little scared and, you know, we were game and we were feeling, yeah, you know, we're going to, we came up with this topic because bring your children to work day was coming up. You know, we're always looking for, as we talked about, you know, things to kind of attach it to. And so let's talk to him about what it was like, you know, to grow up with a mom who mostly worked. I mean, the, for a couple of years, I didn't. Um, and I tried not to overthink it, you know, or over, you know, or, or plan it too much or have, you know, like anything scripted and be willing to let whatever, whatever they were willing to share, you know, not like push them to share more than they wanted to, but also be willing to have them tell truths that maybe I hadn't heard, you know, and because I know we have had some conversations about this and mixed feelings, both of, you know, liking that I did for, you know, what it, the model I was and, you know, certain aspects to it, but also missing me and, you know, feeling like, you know, well, what other kids had with stay-at-home moms, like they didn't have. And, you know, so there were things like that, that I already kind of knew, but once we kind of got into the conversation, I think what I took away like and really noticed was, I mean, one to take in like now them as adults are like, you know, I maybe didn't understand it then, but I can now, you know, and, and see some real, you know, even more of the value of what you were doing or see you more, you know, and, you know, it, it, at times it was painful, you know, or hurtful. I didn't always understand your choices, but I think I had awarenesses. I'm like, wow, this is the most we've ever really talked about this. You know, we've had little conversations. So the big awareness for me was, you know, there, there's that one and more, you know, for us to sit down and just, you know, we spent whatever it was, 20 minutes, a half hour, specifically on that topic, sharing and being together. And, and, uh, and I had said at the beginning, I hadn't, 
ever really brought them to work because I'm like, what are they going to sit in the lobby while I coach people, you know? But that was really kind of a cop out. Like, you know, there's other things they they could have seen in my office and, you know, ways. So I was like, well, being on my podcast, I just brought you to work, right? So <laughs> it was kind of a do-over in that late. respect, right? And um, yeah. And then it was interesting to see because quite honestly, like, you know, my older daughter, like she shared it on her Instagram and, you know, she was super excited because she got tons of views and, and, um, one of her friends has actually reached out to me to, you know, for a a talk at her company and, but, you know, you just different people and different, you know, or my younger daughter's a little more like, wow, I don't, you know, yeah, I I didn't really realize like that, that, you know, that, that was really going to be out there. And, I have friends listening. <laughs> kind of hit her. She was a little more like, I don't know how quickly I'll get them both back on, but we'll see. We'll see. But it was it was one of those things, right? Like taking a risk and going for it and hoping that it serves others, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I know just that conversation even of, you know, being a woman who works. And I, I always, as I started my own coaching business and talking to women about this, I sort of remember thinking, at what point do we trade in our hopes and dreams for, okay, it's, you know, time to have babies now and I'm all good. And for some, that is an easy choice. For me, it wasn't. And I continue to work and, you know, there are sacrifices along the way, but I think it's, you know, I sort of hope that I'll be able to have that conversation with my kids when they're in their twenties and they can say, you know, that, they got to see me live a full experience, a vibrant experience that I want them to live. Yeah. No matter whether it's the boy or the girl, right? That it shouldn't. Totally. We can we can evolve out of this idea that women are just ready to like have all these hopes and dreams, but only till you're 25. Right. <laughs> or only till you're 30 and then <laughs> you're good. You know? Right. Um, that we can have our cake and eat it too. That we can, you know, we can be multi-dimensional, creative, ambitious, and really nurturing mothers at the same time. So it was inspiring to oh, thank you. <laughs> to hear at least. Yes. yes, you know. Well, and something I hadn't maybe thought of when you said that was they're gonna have reactions no matter what, right? They're they're going to have had, you know, feelings about if I had stayed home all the time and how I did that, right? Like it's mm-hmm. I think when sometimes when we're looking for, you know, I call it like kind of tricking our brain or ways to like, because I think it's a huge way we mother, you know, we'll deny our mother and ourselves when we don't follow our, continue to follow our dreams and know that we can, you know, kind of merge them and, and have them both is that you might as well do the one that's the most satisfying to you, right? And the one that is going to nourish your happy mom, you know, happy family, right? And and I'm not saying you're always, we're always happy when we're working, but, and I don't know if we talked about this last time, but um, Galinsky, Ellen Galinsky's work, and she's done a ton of research and she, one of her big pieces of research in a family institute was for working families to interview children. And she interviewed, I forget what age ranges of children on, you know, ones that had moms who stayed home fully, part-time, full-time, kind of the whole range. And like, what did they, what's their experience? What do they think? You know, is there, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and I know I was nervous to read it, you know, it's like, what, what happened? 
And the, what was I thought so cool about it was it wasn't, it, there was no like, oh, you know, predominantly the kids were happiest when their mom did this or that. That was all probably pretty even across the board. But what what was the most common or kind of the thing that stuck out the most or they would want different is how they were about what they, the choice they made. And um, where what they would get the most upset about was, you know, honestly, like mom's not knowing how to deal with their own anxiety and stress levels. So she may have worded it a little bit differently, but that's how I interpreted it, right? Like, what am I bringing home? You know, what if I if I am a working mom, am I coming home and like dumping all my upset and stress, you know, in the house and just this super anxious? Or if I'm home all the time and I'm not, you know, finding ways to take care of myself, then, you know, they're the ones that get the brunt of all of that if we're not. So, you know, we're going to uh, put another another reason for us to take emotional yeah. care of ourselves. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> well, there. That's the joy of being human and and mothering and mothering ourselves, right? It's like the the work never ends. And I think you yeah. spoke to this too, right? That there's no final destination. It's really personal growth work is lifelong. Yep. And you don't ever arrive like, okay, fully coached, all set. <laughs> exactly. But wouldn't that be more, you know, like just yeah. to know, it's kind of daunting to know, <laughs> but it we're in kind of a culture that feels like we should get fixed and kind of be at some like stasis level that, that is like, like you said, like I've arrived. Right. And, uh, and that's a big one to break, right. That, that we are, we have so much potential and infinite and we can keep exploring not because we have to, but because we can, right? Right. And not that we're fixing. It's not because no. we're broken. It's because we are perfectly made this way to feel and to be in the full experience. And we're just giving ourselves that space yes. to do that. Yes. No fixing. <laughs> I love um, when you were talking earlier, too, I thought about Brene Brown in one of her books. She talks about joy being the most vulnerable place to be in. Yep. And you know, it, it, the goal isn't to be happy, but that joy itself is a really vulnerable space because it's a surrender it in is. a way. And it's so alive and ex out there, right? When I mean, you can have quiet joy, but you know, if if you want to enter some spaces of joy, like you're really revealing yourself and it's very alive and energized and we don't have a lot of practice at that. Right. Right. <laughs> We're going to work on it. We are. So oh, how yeah. are you how are you expressing and being in your joy these days as we head into the summer season and all of the exciting things ahead? Well, the most recent because I you know, it just transitioned from spending the winter in this beautiful space and a lot of like growth and healing but also beauty in Mexico over the winter and I had just felt very blessed and grateful to be there. So coming back to Chicago, you know, and and I'm and I was planning for this transition, knowing it's going to be, you know, there's be certain challenges, and you know, one way has been just finding the beauty in nature wherever I am, right? And I just spent, you know, a, a piece of yesterday, like it warmed up, and like really, I felt kind of like a little kid, like taking my time, you know, like curiously going through our garden because we have a newly, we just like re-landscaped. So there's all this new stuff. Um, so I feel like 
a little kid, like with presents opening, what's this one going to look like, you know, and, and, um, and allowing that to, you know, nourish and really like, you know, and then share it, you know, and like feel the joy that I was experiencing and not, you know, like, oh, this is cool, you know, (laughs) (laughs) it's nice, it's cool, but, you know, uh, sharing that fully uh, with, with people. And, you know, I just finished us an eight week mastermind and, you know, that brought me a ton of joy. Like even the preparing for it was very different. And I know I'm always going to feel nourished and I, uh, with women and when we're working together in those kind of spaces, but a lot of times the prepping is like work, you know, like, and I'm stressed and I, I let go of a lot of that this time and really allowed myself to feel joy in the whole process. Beautiful. Yeah. The balance. Yeah. Yep. Masculine, feminine. There the work you go. And the, yep. Yep. The receiving. <laughs> I love it. Well, this has been such a pleasure. It's wonderful to watch you and I learn from you. You know, I'm a, always on your platforms and listening to you and as a mentor and as, you know, a colleague. Mm-hmm. So I was going to say, same back at you, but thank you. I will take that in. I'm receiving. Yes. Receive it. (laughs) Receive it. Know that it's, you know, coming from a place of love and joy and just, you know, the more women we can empower and inspire to step into their truest, most beautiful selves, then we're doing good work. So you're here. I'm so grateful that you could make time to come and talk to me and to share your story. I'm so grateful that you invited me and that we got to acknowledge this year anniversary in this way and and to have watched you over this year has just been also super inspiring and beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thank you for being here. If you love this podcast, and I so hope you did, please subscribe. That way you'll get real-time updates anytime I post a new episode. Feeling inspired and want to share the joy? leave a review so others can find the podcast more easily. Want to hang out more with me? You can find me on the interwebs at www.anyarock.com. That's A-I-N-E-R-O-C-K. And I'm also on Instagram at Anya underscore rock your joy. Till next time, rock your joy. This episode was produced by Dante32.